Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. You are indeed. And to, oh, and today we're going to talk about creating a forest management plan or we don't care what noise it makes when a tree falls in the forest. Is it due to climate change, invasive pests, or has it been selectively harvested <laughs> by our well-thought-out plan? Okay, all right. That, that is ridiculous. That was a stretch. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, we're joined today by um, Alex Kindler. And Alex is a forester and co-founder of Kindler Forest Management, LLC. And so welcome, Alex. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, thanks, Alex. Well, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about what you do and what uh, Kindler Forest Management is all about. Okay. So my name is Alex Kindler, and, and my wife and I operate uh, Kindler Forest Management, and we're a consulting forestry company. So landowners contact us to help them manage their forests. Um, and uh, so we, we assist private landowners primarily um, the average farmer who has maybe, you know, 40 acres or so, and some of that's a field and some of that's a, a forest and they don't really know what to do with their woodland. So they'll contact us, um, in order to, uh, to get advice around making sure their forest is healthy. Well, what, what really encouraged you to be a forester? Cause that seems like a pretty complicated <laughs> job. Well, there's a lot of different facets to what a forester does, um, but what encouraged me to become a forester was that I grew up loving to go hunting and fishing and hiking and camping and uh, developed a love of nature. And I realized once I started studying forestry, I, I went to Hawking College and uh, got a two-year degree there in forest management. And then I, then I went to Ohio State University and, and finished my bachelor's degree uh, there and, and got a bachelor's of science in forest management. And, um, you know, it, it, I just always, I, I realized that I actually really enjoyed learning about the ecology and the science of what a woodland really is and uh, realizing that there was a, a real disconnect in the understanding of what that is compared to our, our perceptions of what that may be uh, encouraged me and really drives my passion for forestry uh, to this day. So. Um, at first, I thought I might want to be a ranger or someone, but then I realized that was really just a police officer in the woods. And I didn't really necessarily want to work with people uh, in that capacity. I'd rather uh, work in a more positive light and, and have uh, make a difference where I can. So I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that eventually I would, I would be in a field that I could make a difference. And I felt that um, there were good job opportunities in forestry. And, um, and, I, and I really enjoyed learning about the science and implementing that. So, um, you know, so what is a forester? And that's a person who's obtained a degree in natural resources with an emphasis in forest management and who engages in the planning and implementation of management for a working forest. So uh, that could be anything from writing a forest management plan to conducting inventories, uh, selling timber and oversight of the harvesting operations and ensuring the proper reclamation. So, and, and that's a really loaded statement. There's a lot of science and, <laughs> and work that goes into having that happen. And so, um, you know, I just found that there was a lot of really great detail to get in, into, into the weeds on, and many different aspects of forestry. It's a very diverse field. So, um, you know, you can really kind of pick and choose what really 
you enjoy the most. And, and so that's what I was able to do. Well, I think um, most people kind of consider forests just sort of self-managing. I mean, you just sort of leave them be yeah. and 30 years later, somebody cuts down a tree. I mean, what, what's involved in what you're doing there to uh, make sure that the forest is, is healthy and productive? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, in some parts of the world, when you harvest a tree, you need to replant. In the eastern part of the country and, and to some degree other, other areas, uh, we, you can depend on what's called natural regeneration. So that's like what you said, a forest can self-perpetuate itself. Um, you know, it, you don't have to do anything and the forest will be there. But uh, we've had a lot of impacts on our woodlands. There's timber markets that drive harvesting operations and that changes the forest. And to get really specific about maintaining forest health, um, you know, different tree species have different uh, requirements. So there's shade tolerance is, is a aspect that really plays a lot into, um, into what we do every day. So we're managing the sunlight. How much sun can a specific species tolerate? And then does that species meet landowner objectives and so forth? So, um, you know, what, what sites with soils that are, that are involved in growing specific trees, what sites are better for specific trees? So um, making sure a woodland is healthy is when trees are harvested or uh, trees are otherwise succumb to uh, some form of mortality, then uh, is it regenerating itself properly? And that's an assessment that can be made and, and it, will it actually be uh, sustainable is a question. It's not just a guarantee. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, problems with our forests. You know, we have invasive species, we have a lack of knowledge. And uh, so really you just, you really need to have a good understanding of what's going on in the woods uh, prior to, to doing anything. Well, one of the things that I see is that there is a tremendous lack of knowledge. Um, and so people just let the forest sit there and succumb to whatever. And uh, that I find that fascinating. But one of the things that uh, we know about how people manage forests, so it isn't just farmers, but lots of people own woodland that, that are not farming, but they still don't know what to do with the woodlands. And so what ends up happening is that if it's a man and a woman co-owning, the man generally dies before the woman, and she then inherits that property, and she definitely doesn't know what to do with it. But she, once she gets some good knowledge, she begins to realize that she, uh, that she wants to do things a little bit differently, like she wouldn't clear cut. She's going to manage that forest land so that it does do more of that kind of production. And uh, I find that fascinating. There's actually a, a fairly new group in Ohio called Women Owning Woodlands. And most of the women I've met in that group are not farmers, but they do own or they have inherited um, and now own uh, woodlands and many, many acres of, of woodlands. So I think what you're doing is super important, how we get the message out there mm -hmm. that you got to manage it. Uh, I don't know. But I think it's akin to when you're describing what to do, it's just like any gardener. Um, you know, you put things in a certain place and then you realize it's not gonna work there or I've gotta thin things or I've gotta cut things out. And it would be good if we maybe learned in school uh, more about how to do that, maybe in general in life too, so. Well, I, I had a question for yeah, you, Alex. There, there, whoops, I, I'm sorry. Right. But I, yeah, we were, um, 
during the COVID thing, we started going for lots of walks in the forest. In, and these were state forests over around and about. And it seemed to me anyway, just as someone who knows absolutely nothing about you know, a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but, but particularly it, <laughs> for us. <laughs> but particularly for us, yeah. And, and it looked really crappy. I mean, you know, lots of deadfalls, leaning pine trees. Um, and, it looked like a forest fire ready to happen. Yeah, and, and I was just wondering, is that necessarily bad just because it's a very sloppy forest and needed to be tidied? Uh, is that good? Is it indifferent? Is that an indication of anything? You know, I mean, what, what would you have taken away yeah. if you're walking through and seeing that? Well, I, I get that question actually quite a bit because a lot of people think that they should go through their woods and clean everything up and make it look kind of like a yard or something. And that's just not the way a forest is. And forests evolved to have various levels of disturbances when the wind blows too strongly or trees are old and aging and decaying, then they're going to break apart and fall down and create gaps and add woody debris to the forest. And actually, they, they've done research on this, and it's very beneficial to have down woody debris. And uh, it contributes to soil health. It provides wildlife habitat. And so um, it, I really try to encourage people not to worry so much about what the woods look like as far as from a cleanliness standpoint, how open or clean or few dead trees there are. Um, but there's a number of things that might indicate, I mean, it could indicate that something needs to be done as far as a thinning in there. If it's, if it's, um, if there's a lot of uh, trees leaning and, and dying in the process of dying, it could be that the forest is overstocked and it needs to be thinned. And if we, if we consider ourselves as part of the landscape, which I believe that we are, um, then I believe that we can have a hand in what we, what we manage in that forest and we can, we can, choose desirable species that meet various objectives that we have. Um, we may want to encourage more wildlife. And so we want to ensure that more oak trees will survive. Um, and there are some dynamics that happen with when a forest ages to where oaks can be overtopped by faster growing species, but that would be less desirable to wildlife if we didn't have a hand in it. So uh, you can actually remove some trees, um, whether it be a commercial operation where you can sell trees or whether it be something you just do to cut for fire, for firewood or just to, to cut to, to know you're managing the woods. Um, you, can, you can choose which species may survive uh, over time rather than not doing anything. And, um, but yeah, the, the aspect of uh, the dead trees versus the live trees and so forth, you know, I try to encourage people not to worry so much about the dead trees. They provide a lot of benefits to the forest. And actually, I try to get a message out a lot of times about it's actually more desirable to cut a living tree because that that action will then change an outcome. If you are if you're going through your woods and just cutting dead trees, you're probably going to have a net negative impact because you're eliminating um, wildlife habitat and so forth. And um, but if you cut, say, an aspen tree or a red maple tree that's overtopping a white oak tree, you can have a tremendous impact in improving that, the survival of that white oak tree. So, so what would be the reason to actually have a plan, the advantages and disadvantages, and then how would I go about making that happen? Yeah, so um, anyone who starts to real study what a forest really is, you start to realize you need to have a form of action, a plan, to, to lay out what steps should be taken in order to achieve various objectives that you may have for your woods or to just 
provide a general, you know, what, it, Alex, you know, what's the best thing I can do for my woods, you know? Well, you know, having a forest management plan is really essential for that because it gives us an opportunity to walk in the woods, assess what's going on, if there's invasive species, non-native invasive species in particular, you know, we can address many different aspects of controlling those plants so that they don't continue to overtake the forest and degrade forest health. Um, we can assess uh, what your objectives are, so we can plan uh, activities from thinnings to uh, the invasive species control or to letting grow or to timber harvesting that all are planned and timed to meet your objectives. So it's just a great chance to sit back and say, let's, let's organize our thoughts around what's happening out there in this otherwise sort of chaotic or, or secondary thought uh, area of my farm. So one thing just to interject here, and then Jay's going to stop us talking for a second. Um, uh, I'd okay. like for us to talk a little bit about also silvopasture and food forests, because we do have other options, particularly for non-forest, not non-timber products that can come out of the forest. And I don't think people, you know, mm -hmm. it's while these are old concepts, they're new to people today. And uh, it would be great to talk about that, but I think Jay's going to interrupt. <laughs> well, I, I, that's okay. my role is to interrupt. Yes, um, I've periodically. noticed, I've yes. noticed <laughs> that. <laughs> so, um, yes, I will interrupt and remind everyone, you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. Oh, and thank God. <laughs> okay. I was contemplating that. Yes, she was just <laughs> contemplating. And today we're joined by Alex Kindler. And Alex, uh, we were talking about uh, uh, forestry, um, and Annie was just bringing up the idea about silva pasturing, which is probably a term that a lot of people aren't familiar with. I know silva, basically, what is that? Silvo. Latin, Silvo. Latin for uh, forest. Tree. Mm -hmm. Oh, tree. Okay. All right. So, so tell us, uh, tell us what you know about that. Okay, so silvopasture recently came up um, in a project we're working on, and in, in, in a nutshell, uh, the history of trees and grazing animals has not been the best. So there's been a long period of time, the past hundred years or so, where we said we got to get all animals out of anything related to do with trees. But um, more modern research has been showing us that, you know, if you plant it properly, you can have trees at a lower density in a pastured area and the trees will be healthy and the pasture will be healthy and they could be simultaneously providing benefits. So the animals will have enough forage to graze and then you'll also have some overstory and those trees could provide nut crops or potentially timber crops and have the wildlife benefits um, that they provide. I mean, simply planting one white oak tree, I mean, um, uh, I think it's Doug Tallamy, if I can remember correctly, who, who put out a book about, about uh, trees in the urban landscape and so forth. He summarized that uh, there were 534 different species of Lepidoptera, so moths and butterflies, in the larval stage that would benefit from one white oak being planted. So they, they'll potentially forage on that and that starts the food chain you have all kinds of bird species then that will benefit from having those larval species present and having habitat uh, if you look at an autumn olive which is a non-native invasive species only six species of lepidoptera will utilize that plant so when we add plants we create a benefit especially if it's a native plant and that's the idea behind silvopasture can we get some tree cover 
going in these otherwise more devoid of tree cover landscapes. And there's also carbon benefits and so forth around that, but there's economic and environmental benefits to having some tree cover in a pasture. And that's what Silva Pasture is. And we need to do more work in Ohio to, to get that message out there and, and encourage people to plant trees in, at the proper density in their pastures. And there's many guides from universities across the, the U.S. that provide some, some level of uh, uh, understanding and guidance around how to do that in a proper way. Well, one thing that I read about in The Guardian um, a while ago, anyway, is that there are two different farms in England who uh, they both had about a thousand acres, which is quite quite a big uh, area, but they decided after um, they economically were basically bankrupt as farms that they had to change their system in order to try to create a living and not lose the lose the family farm. And they converted to silva pasture with several species of livestock, including deer. And they found that one of the things that happened, particularly when they had uh, pigs, in the forest and so all these things ran together there was no division uh, among the pastures or anything just a, a, um, a fence that surrounded the outside of the property and uh, what they found was all kinds of new species of plants coming up that or plants that hadn't been seen in a hundred years and they actually um, and also mm. lots of new kinds of insects which as you pointed out would bring more birds and things and also more seeds and it they went from really almost losing their farm to actually making a living now and um, I think a lot of us who are interested in ecology and climate adaptation would be quite interested to learn a lot more about silver pasture or food forest maybe you could talk a little bit about that too Right, yeah. So then the food forest side of things is um, uh, what the at the government at the time calls it multi-story cropping. So I'll refer to it that way sometimes too, probably. But basically, you, it's in a forest environment. Um, you may add species that are historically the non-timber forest product type species. So like ginseng, golden seal, uh, pawpaw, uh, plants like that that are adapted to our ecosystem, but are not generally... Uh, found at a, at a very high level, and then they might have some kind of medicinal or herbal value that uh, a landowner could then harvest some of those and sell a product off of it. But it's not a timber uh, product. So it's a product that, um, you know, regenerates a little bit more quickly and then um, is a much smaller thing there. So, but, um, and then the, the alternative is, is to take a field and then create something that is similar to a forest or essentially is a forest and um, you plant species that are are more desired from from a food productions uh, perspective so that could be fruit trees some of which could be you know uh, somewhat more rare species uh, like american plum um, but pawpaw would be a part of that and then a number of other species uh, anywhere from shrubs to mid-story type trees so small trees like the pawpaw and then larger trees, um, so it could be uh, uh, like pecan, uh, which that's a more southern species. So uh, as far as how well they, that species may do is is a little bit uh, questionable. But as long as um, you know you manage it, it, should be fine. 
but you can have um, more food production and you're basically creating a, uh, an ecosystem that is, is like a forest at the same time. This is one of the recommendations they're making for climate adaptation to try to move some of the more southern species of trees and bushes, food, pr food producing bushes to, to this region and, and even further north. So it's, it's also a good thing to consider. And a lot of those things that you listed, including elderberries are high end products. So you begin mm -hmm. to have a short term gain versus the long term of the tree needing, you know, 50 or 60 years to do what it needs yeah. to do. Well, that sort of brings up the up uh, concept. Years, really. That kind of brings up the concept of, uh, you know, the, the temperature changing, global warming, global weirding, whatever. How is that being folded into mm -hmm. your management plans where you say, you know what, this is how we're managing for the moment, but, um, but we have to anticipate mm -hmm. that, that these climate zones may be, may be shifting around a bit. Are you, are you building that in? Yeah. So, um, I guess there's a there's a number of things that you could think about when when you try to assess the potential climate change impacts to our forests in Ohio. Um, you know, because we harvest timber, and because our current majority of our larger trees are growing stock, are oak species, so red oaks, white oaks, things like that, that are, are regularly being harvested. We have to look again. What's is our forest sustainable? Well, what is coming up underneath our oak forest? And a lot of times what we're finding is that it's red maple, American beech, and sugar maple, and also to some degree uh, the yellow poplar. So what in essence we're doing by relying on natural regeneration, we are encouraging an oak forest to be converted into those other species I mentioned. Now some of those species, the, the first three, are actually northern hardwood species. So those are more adapted to a northern climate, and we're kind of on the southern end of their range to some degree. So as the climate warms, what the research is showing is that the oak species are supposed to benefit from that. And, um, and that would be a good thing for our, our forest. We need that. But there's going to be a, a potentially fairly destructive period of time when a sugar maple stand had developed on a dry south southern exposure hillside. And, um, and then those are now facing extreme climate uh, that, that would then detract from its ability to grow well on those sites. And or they're um, going to die. What we'll That's find what it that really comes down to, don't you think? Well. They're going to, the, the sugar it, maples yeah, are going to. It, it could be that we need more research, as I'd say, uh, and I need to perhaps increase my knowledge about, but essentially that could happen, yes. Um, but they, they won't be necessarily very healthy either. Yeah. Um, so well, one of that, that one of the suggestions, timber right. Mm -hmm. well, one of the recommendations that, that people are talking about that are the experts. So I'm no expert, but, um, is the idea of doing some experimentation with, uh, similar species or even non-native species with the sugar maple to see if those those trees and those plantings can actually benefit the sugar maple so we don't lose them. Have you read about that at all? I'm not entirely sure what you're talking about, but I would be cautious of anything non-native because of the potential for it to become invasive. So we want to we always encourage in native species if we can. 
Um, But I would say that just generally on on that climate front, you know, there's a very big trend in forestry right now towards what's called oak management. And there's uh, an initiative out there called the White Oak Initiative. And it really is the, the idea behind it is to increase education and resources towards managing our forests for white oak when it's appropriate. So there's, there's many places when that, that very process is happening. We'll harvest the white oak trees and then sugar maples or poplars or red maples will come up underneath. And um, so, it, but the, the right process would actually be to implement what's called a mid-story removal that would remove those shade tolerant species in the mid-story. And then it would encourage enough light to get down into the forest floor. And what that process research has shown will do will be to establish and encourage the growth of any established oaks in the seedling size class on the forest floor to grow. And then you'd have to follow that up with a shelterwood harvest uh, 10 years or so later when the oak species become what's called competitive. So there's a lot of research around oak management right now. And what we found is we have to have oak seedlings on the ground if we want to have oak in the future. And so that's part of getting that management plan and understanding the dynamics of of your ecosystem and what your what your goals are if they're climate related then we need to make sure we get some more oak coming up on the ground uh, to adapt with the with the changing climate so uh, and that's also highly beneficial for wildlife and many other objectives so white oaks are they the ones that when they lose their acorns that they immediately start sending down a taproot of some sort yeah the white oaks start to send the taproot down usually in mid to late december and the red oaks will will not uh, send the taproot down until uh, March or so. So um, usually, what we need, what we find, is that you get what's called cluster seeding around white oak trees. So we have to we have to retain some white oak because you'll get local um, uh, production off of that seed tree. So uh, when you, when you're looking at the red oak group, you really don't get that same effect from a seed tree, a residual seed tree. Um, because all winter long, the acorns are moved around by wildlife. But I've seen numerous occasions where you'll have a, a large old white oak tree, and right underneath it, you'll have a ring, essentially, of young white oak trees coming up around it. And uh, that's, that's the classic example of a, of a cluster seeding. Okay, well, Alex, we've got about 30 seconds, and I, I did have, we had a question here that I wanted to hear. What's the weirdest thing you've seen out in the mm-hmm. forest when you've been walking about? Okay, um, I, I, I'd say that probably has to be, um, I was in Monroe County and I uh, was walking along a skid trail and I think a long time ago a rock got pushed up against a tree and then the tree actually was probably damaged a little bit and it caused a growth to go around the tree and it actually formed this strange growth that looked like a face and it looked like the tree was trying to swallow the, the rock. It was really strange. So, yeah, okay. Know. It's haunted. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Alex. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you've all been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank Alex Kindler, our forester, who's been out looking at uh, tree ants um, as he's been walking through the forest. And we want to thank our award-winning producer, Adam Rich, 
We want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others. Clean up your own mess. And Jay, plant some white oaks for heaven's sake. Mm -hmm. Until next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at BlueRockStation.com. Yeah.